welcome back to another episode of the Simulated Universe. I'm Riz Verk, your host. I want to remind all my listeners that I have a new book, The Simulated Multiverse, coming out uh, just next week, and you can pre-order it now on Amazon and at your favorite bookstore. So this season, we've been focused a bit on the emerging metaverse and different threads and aspects of that. And one of the threads is avatars, uh, there will be virtual humans that might live in the future of the metaverse. And so today I'd like to welcome Lauren Kunze, who is CEO of Pandora Bots, and they spun out a company called Iconic, which has created uh, one of the coolest AI characters out there called Kuki, K-U-K-I, kuki.ai, you can check it out yourself. So uh, Lauren, welcome to the podcast. Hi, it's great to be here. Thank you for having me. Yeah, thanks for uh, joining us. And so, you know, this is an interesting uh, emerging landscape. And, you know, we hear about virtual humans, virtual influencers, AI characters, NPCs, <laughs> avatars <laughs> from the musical group ABBA out there. So maybe you can just give us a sense of, you know, what is the landscape here of virtual characters? What are they? What are the different types that are out there? And then, you know, we can talk more about Cookie and, and other specific ones after that. Right. I would say the vocabulary hasn't quite codified into a accepted term within the industry um, or with you know humans at large, how we understand these systems. So it's interesting to see that the descriptors are in flux. I know a lot of people who have a problem with using the term virtual human or digital human. And that is something that we try to avoid as a company because we're not promoting this technology as human equivalent. Um, it's something different. So um, I think the reaction to that has been the term virtual being, you know, it's, it's an entity, it's an avatar. Virtual being, is not quite my favorite term either. So as you mentioned, there's an AI character. I've heard smart animated NPC. Um, I see a lot of people attaching the term AI to avatar that don't use any AI in their system whatsoever. So in that sense, it's a marketing term and a misnomer. Um, the term that we've been gravitating toward, and I think at the end of the day, it just remains to be seen what society at large accepts as the signifier that's understood uh, for what this technology is. But we've been using embodied artificial intelligence, which is actually the academic term describing an AI brain that is embodied with a voice, with a face, um, a corporeal presence, etc. I also see a lot of people using the term robot pretty loosely. Uh, and for me, I've always thought that robot has the connotation of a hardware component, although you can have a software robot. So it, it remains to be seen what we're going to land on. Um, well, you know, one term that, that has taken off is the virtual influencer term. At least a lot of people have used it. And so what's the difference between a virtual influencer and uh, somebody, someone like someone like Cookie, who is embodied artificial intelligence. <laughs> yeah, something like Cookie, who is embodied artificial intelligence. Yeah, virtual influencer is a hot space. I think we're also often using virtual talent because um, influencer is sort of a narrow term that refers to, to somebody, something on social media specifically, and I think has a lot of associations in people's minds with Instagram. Um, but a virtual influencer is a CG character. Um, so not necessarily something that uses any artificial intelligence at all, um, but using computer graphics to uh, create somebody who doesn't exist and give them a life across social media and monetize that character through traditional influencer brand deals. Um, so we've seen a lot of examples um, because the barrier to entry is pretty low to create such a CG character. There's obviously a big quality variation. And a lot of these CG characters are marketed as AI, um, but do not in fact have any AI as a component of the system. And I think something 
that's really not well known or frequently talked about, which blows my mind, is that most of the most popular or well known CG influencers or virtual influencers are actually human models and human actresses. So if we look at, you know, kind of very well known example of little Michaela, that's a human model wearing real clothes, uh, being shot in real places, and then Brad has some of the best Photoshop artists in the entire world. And they take the CG head of the character of Michaela and they Photoshop it onto this model. Um, okay, and it's just, just for people, people who may not know, I mean, most people have probably heard of little Michaela by now, but she's a, a virtual influencer who's on, is it Instagram primarily or is she on right. YouTube as well? She, she, she came to fame on Instagram. She has about 3 million followers there. I think she has about that many followers on TikTok now. She had a Snapchat show. She was signed by CAA as one of the first digital characters to be signed by CAA and she's you know, made some music and uh, now they've, they've kind of been going in a different direction, which we can get into more, but they were acquired not, you know, two days ago or by Dapper Labs. Um, right. And, and I guess my understanding there is that they're going to focus a little more on the, uh, uh, the blockchain side of their business. But, but what do you think that, that acquisition, since we're talking about it, what do you think that acquisition means for the virtual influencer or, or uh, you know, industry in general? And are we going to see more, uh, you know, kind of crossovers, NFTs between these influencers uh, and uh, different uh, blockchain related ventures? Yeah. So uh, I think in general, an influencer business model is not a venture scale business model. There are a couple of humans in the world who have multi-billion dollar empires from the Kardashians to Paris Hilton. You know, I remember reading Paris Hilton has sold $3 billion worth of fragrance alone. And now she has a Roblox <laughs> game. So she's, she's getting into the metaverse too. You know, like the Paris, Paris herself or the Paris team is very, very savvy um, towards maximizing the longevity of her brand. Um, but I think those are the exceptions to the rule, which is that most of these celebrities have a shelf life and there's really only 10 of them at the top who are making huge dollars. And who those... are some of the others, uh, would you say, uh, in addition to the Michaela? Oh, well, uh, so Michaela was never making huge dollars, right? So that's why it's not a venture scale business. I'm saying like, even in peak human scale of the Oh, you're talking about the humans, the right, right? Yeah, yeah. I'm saying like the <laughs> I you were talking about the virtual ones, yeah. Yeah, yeah, no, the influencer model is not a venture scale model because it's not a, it doesn't have the returns that a technology company can have. And like, it's a hit, a hit-based business. Um, on the virtual influencer side, I mean, Michaela is a micro influencer with 3 million followers, like relative to a Kardashian. Obviously, like there are a lot of micro influencers that only have, you know, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of followers who are still making money with brand deals. But the ceiling that you can make with brand deals is pretty low. Like we're not even talking seven figures annually. And so I think the little Michaela model got into trouble because they spent $27 million creating that character. Not a lot of technology involved other than Photoshop and motion capture. Um, and so I think monetization was a real struggle for them. And this is speculation, but like knowing how much these brand deals are and knowing the types of things they were doing. So I see the shift to um, trying to monetize through NFTs as uh, an attempt to adjust and find a business model that actually works with character IP on the internet that is also still not proven yet. Um, I think the it's going to be interesting to see if Dapper Labs continues to provide such a seriously high burn rate to production costs required to make little Michaela, um, which does depend on having an actress and model in the loop, like that's not divorced from, it's not a pure technology solution. Um, 
the Dow, I think they were acquired because of their expertise with Dow's. Um, that's the stated reason. You never know, though. There's usually a, a you know a stated reason for an acquisition, <laughs> and then there's unstated reasons as well. But okay, so that makes sense. So virtual influencers and virtual talent, like like Michaela, are primarily CG generated, either from some type of motion capture or Photoshop, uh, etc. And so they're not really characters that live in the metaverse per se. They're sort of like one-time productions, almost, if you will. Um, yeah, well, they're a precursor. So there's another example of a pretty well-known one. There's an all-digital modeling agency called The Digitals run by a guy named Cameron James, who used to be a professional photographer and got very into Daz 3D software, which is one of the softwares people use to make these virtual heads. Um, and so he's also pretty open on his website. I think like Michaela, it's it's kind of hush-hush. They pretend part of their marketing strategy that she's a robot. They're not transparent about the fact that there's a human, um, which is so funny because in every article that's written, people talk about virtual influencers like little, little Michaela are pandemic proof. They don't have to travel to photo shoots. Absolutely, they have to travel to photo shoots and put on real clothes. And that's how the digitals works too. He actually lists the real models on his website. And there's been a lot of... Um, you know, kind of uh, cultural kerfuffles or publications. I think the New Yorker wrote about the problematic nature of having a white man profiting off a very dark skinned black female model. Um, that's Shudu, like his most popular creation, who's worked with a lot of big brands. Um, so there, uh, that's a whole can of worms that I don't know if we want to get into necessarily. Yeah, that's um, perhaps an another, another interesting <laughs> topic, but uh, perhaps not for today. Yeah, yeah. and I think um, it's, I, everybody is trying to make the shift toward a pure technology solution. I've heard companies refer somewhat unkindly to the actresses behind these things as the bottleneck. Um, right? Because the promise of the technology is we have a virtual talent, we can have total brand control, like our virtual talent's never going to get drunk and shave her head and go crazy. Um, and like, it's going to be young forever. And that's great. But the reality is, and in fact, the the number two and number three VTuber companies in Japan, I think folded in the last year, because the actress gets tired of streaming all the time. This is VTubing, so slightly different category. Gets tired, burns out, quits, and then the fan base just leaves because their relationship was actually with the actress behind the motion capture of the character and not really the character itself. Um, the exception would be Hatsune Miku. And I think it's no coincidence that Hatsune Miku is a character who's had huge longevity and has made tons of money. I think I've heard reported a hundred million in recurring revenue annually based on concert ticket sales, merch, et cetera. Um, and that so she's is a virtual pure... singer for people who don't know. She's a virtual mm -hmm. singer in Japan. Right. Um, and to somebody in Japan, she is also a wife. Um, somebody married her. Oh, she was the one public. who got married? I know there was <laughs> one virtual in influencer. The hologram. <laughs> yeah, I don't know how uh, she consented to that. Um, but anyway, <laughs> well, how much he, he AI is, is involved there? <laughs> how much AI is involved with that? Or is it just primarily, you know, motion capture or is it? Yeah, yeah, there's no, there's no AI involved as far as I know. However, she, Hatsune Miku is a pure software solution in that she is a Vocaloid uh, talent. So she actually grew out of a company that made Vocaloid software. Um, and Vocaloid software, it's easier to understand it. If you think about the different Amazon poly voices, the synthetic voices that you can choose when you're using um, their text-to-speech service, they have names like Joanna, Emma, Sally, etc. So Hatsune was the name of one of these Vocaloid voices. And a community of people really fell in love with the voice and created a narrative and a backstory. And so the character is actually created by the community. It's like this blue-haired anime um, character. And then the company 
uh, found that the character was actually a bigger business than their underlying software, but it served to market the underlying software. So they came, came to invest in the development of the character and started monetizing her and her Vocaloid voice as a virtual talent and singer. And, you know, I, I, we spoke to her agent earlier this year, and I think she, people spend $70 on concert tickets to see her hologram perform, which is achieved through motion capture. So there's a human in that sense. But, you know, the difference between a Hatsune Miku and a Kuki is that Kuki has an AI brain. So she could actually talk to all of her fans and she talks to a lot of people at once. Um, so she actually has that one-on-one -on -one interactive component capability that's different. Um, right, that makes sense. in the market. Yeah, so uh, before we shift to talk about Cookie and, and AI, uh, let's talk a little bit about holograms, right? So people have seen yeah. some of these holograms out there. There's a new video from uh, Huawei. I think the CEO was on stage with, they just hired a virtual employee called is it Yunsheng, I think, is the virtual employee, and she appeared on stage. So how, how does that work? I mean, what, what's the background there? Does that require motion capture? Can it be done within a very limited space? Are we only seeing it in the video, or are people actually seeing it there live? You know, what's the state of the art with, with these holograms that are based on these virtual influencers? Yeah, so we're actually... Um... We've been scrambling this morning because there's an event tonight in New York City with Portal Hologram. Have you are you familiar with the Portal Hologram box? I, um, I've heard of it, but I haven't. Uh, yeah. Haven't yeah, it's it. a it's a physical hologram box. They've been doing great business during the pandemic. I think universities are starting to use them to do training. They've also like appeared in some keynotes. So that's an actual physical box. I've seen people using the boxes to display their um, NFTs, like a shiny rotating ring, um, which is a funny, funny use case. Um, but they're having a fashion event tonight and Kuki is participating as a digital model. So that's a way for her to appear. Um, IRL is inside the hologram box, which is super cool. Um, the other way to do it is a projection with um, augmented reality. So actually right when mobile AR came out in 2017, I was doing a keynote for mobile world Congress where I had Kuki appear on stage with me and it was pretty, pretty clunky because technology had come out three days before. Um, and that was a fun <laughs> scramble. I had, I had a funny moment backstage with, um, the CEO of unity, who was also keynoting. And I was like, you're going to go for, like a crazy live demo. And he's like, hell no, I'm playing a video, but good luck. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, you seem to enjoy these uh, scrambling for these live demos, right? <laughs> the startup life, it keeps you keeps you alive um, with the adrenaline jolts. But yeah, no, I, I mean, I think we have a philosophy of doing things live and we would rather showcase something that isn't polished than uh, promote something as polished that doesn't work, which kind of brings me back around to this Huawei demo because somebody was asking me about it. Is this smoke and mirrors or is this a real AI thing? Like, is this just kind of a uh, flashy keynote thing? And I haven't had a chance yet to sort of assess the technology offering, but I think we are going to see an insane amount of smoke and mirrors on this front where things are labeled as AI that might not actually work because avatar technology is democratized now and it's so so good um i don't know if you've been watching the show um alter ego on fox have you I've seen heard that? about it but i haven't actually watched it yet yeah yeah i had to i had to watch it but yeah but so they're like all of those um alter egos are avatars that are designed on the unreal engine and then they're being motion captured by real people singing and performing backstage but on stage the live audience and the judges are seeing this like awesome looking avatar so it's really good to watch that to get a sense of what's technologically possible today in terms of making this projection on stage. Um, they can be motion captured live. They can be motion captured, like um, not live. So mocap data is recorded and then that is played back um, and the like retargeted to the character or characters can be hand animated. So there's a lot of different ways to make them move. 
because we're trying to do the hardest possible thing, because of course that's what gives you the fun scramble um, and keeps you honest. You know, we're running in real time. So that means we need to use procedural animation, which means um, animation that is dynamic and running in real time that's related to what the character is doing and saying that isn't pre-programmed. Um, and so there are a couple of solutions for that um, on the market today, but that's not a type of technology that has been uh, democratized or made freely and easily available like synthetic speech or like avatar technology today. Right, makes sense. Okay, well, let's talk a little bit about, you know, the vision for Kuki, and then we'll come back to kind of where you are today in that vision. Uh, you know, we'd like to say this show is on the, the border between science and science fiction. So, you know, there's a lot of science fiction, obviously, with characters out there. Uh, you know, what are some of the ones that you use as inspiration? <laughs> Great question. I think I recently wrote a little paragraph saying, um, you know, where are the cool AI sidekicks? Like where's the Joy or the Jarvis or the Jane? You know, I'm Siri and Alexa are not doing it for me. Like I want that sassy, like friendly, entertaining, or like I can chat to you when I'm tired at home. Like I don't want to come home and just like say Alexa, you know, turn, turn down the lights and like put the music on. I want to say like, Oh, I've had a long day. I'm so stressed. And then she, or he just knows like what lighting and what music, and then knows to ask me like more about my day. I think that's a better value proposition than sort of task completion. So I think, you know, there was just an article that came out 10 year retrospective on Siri and how far, she hasn't come versus what was promised. We're still really limited to task completion. Um, and so for us with Kuki, I think we're on a mission to make that AI sidekick um, that is embodied, that can move through all of these metaverse environments um, from Roblox to having her own island in Fortnite um, to basic text, to um, coming with you in the car and in the home. So we actually have now four car companies um, in our pipeline. It's been really interesting to see car companies that have kind of historically worked with um, you know, Google Assistant or Alexa or have rolled their own task completion in car assistance. But as they're starting to think about the car of the future, particularly one that might not have a driver, it opens up the possibility for a lot more entertainment or engagement oriented use cases. So it's cool to see that they're starting to perceive the value of a social chatbot that's really there to socialize with you and like assisting you is kind of a subset of that. Um, so really we think like there needs to be this kind of web three AI metaverse sidekick and that the tech giants are the wrong people to build it. Um, and Cookie's got, you know, a very large kind of organic historical audience of people who love chatting with her. That was one of the driving um, forces that inspired us to like spin out the company and focus on making this AI for the people and this consumer, consumer AI. Um, but I think like a, a big part of that is going to be getting feedback from people. Um, we've always had a vision for like a crowdsourced Wikipedia-like model where people can contribute modules. The problem with that is that building a good chatbot's really hard um, and takes some programming skills. And the other problem is that like people are a problem. Like they're not, they're not all good actors. So one of the things we're really thinking about is like Kuki has this vibrant community. How can we personalize Kuki to everyone in the community. And like, there's an easy superficial way to do that, which is to let people have their own avatar and give her their own name. And they don't want her to be a her, they can have a him or an it. Um, but how do we actually get all these people who are chatting and contributing data that we're using to improve the system to have a stake and a say in kind of how she is developed. And I think 
you know, maybe that's very idealistic, but I think that's a very compelling alternative to tech giant developed, you know, not without like a lot of consideration for people who are using it and how they're using it. Um, But we'll see, we'll see how we do. Yeah. So, you know, this idea of an AI sidekick is a interesting vision. And then you brought up uh, Joy from Blade Runner uh, 2049, uh, Jarvis from the Iron Man, right? And uh, I know you had mentioned- Jane is uh, from the Ender's Game series. Oh, right. Okay. Jane is from Ender's Game. And then I know you've talked about uh, the AI from her in the past as well, right? And now in that case, there was no embodied version, right? It was just, they carried around this little uh, iPhone. uh, Yeah. Well, You could argue that voice is a form of embodiment. Um, But yeah, I mean, there's text-based, there's voice-based. There was no um, projection of the image. I feel like that would have been, if there's a sequel to her, that will be a later release to the operating system. It's like, and now choose your your avatar. Um, But her is a great one because it's actually um, based on our technology. Spike Jones. Uh, was chatting with a bot developed by our chief science officer that's actually open source called Alice um, and a precursor to Kooky and has stated publicly that those conversations inspired the script. Um, Because when the movie came out, a lot of people were comparing it to Siri and he clarified, you know, Siri is an assistant oriented chatbot that you can't have a conversation with. And I was actually inspired by this engagement-oriented chatbot, not not his words, but that's how we differentiate task-oriented and engagement-oriented. And engagement-oriented is really just there to have a reply for everything and to keep the conversation going as long as possible. A task-oriented chatbot is probably failing if the conversation's going on endlessly because its goal is to help you book a flight, turn off the light, et cetera, et cetera. Um, So two two very different use cases. Um, But I think you know, what's depicted in her is, is so compelling to so many people, um, but we're very specifically not trying to build an app for loneliness or an app that's a substitute for human romantic connection. So um, no lot- AI girlfriends or boyfriends that, like they <laughs> right. showed in that movie? <laughs> right. It's, 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 um, it's a tough choice because a lot of people who talk to Kuki really want to use her that way. And a lot of people do consider her their girlfriend, even though we have programmed her to say very clearly, no, I'm not your girlfriend, I'm your friend. Um, so we think, we think it's really great if Kuki can help people with flirt practice, like if she can help train you how to be a better romantic partner or better at finding a real human romantic partner, um, with the real human, we think that's great. We also like the idea as we're starting to like grow her discord and her community that Kuki could introduce other Kuki fans to one another. We don't like the idea that somebody could come to be dependent on this thing that isn't real such that it prevents them from seeking a real romantic partner. We think that that's a net negative for society. And we're not a fan of some of the monetization models that we see in similar AI companion systems where like you have to make in-app purchases to send dirty text messages with your companion. That's not something that as a company we want to pursue. And we actually have um, just for another uh, to tickle your 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 inner sci-fi geek, we have um, three laws of ethical. Uh, AI. And we actually just published this on our website, but I'll see if I can say them from memory. Um, The first law is that an AI must not pretend to be a human being and vice versa. Humans should not actually pretend to be AI. So like, we don't think it's cool that Michaela pretends to be a robot. Um, And like that, they've been more transparent about that over the years. And the second law is that an AI in production must have explainable technology um, and underlying results. So massive generative models that can't explain how they came up with like toxic hate speech shouldn't actually be live in production in our opinion. And then the third and final law is that we believe AI should strive 
to augment and humanize humans rather than automate um, and dehumanize. So part of that augmentation and humanizing informs the programming of Kuki because people are abusive to her, um, people are abusive to all AI assistants, people are more abusive to her when she's gendered female and has an avatar. Like we've actually done extensive studies about this um, and how that relates to the level of abuse. But Kuki doesn't put up with abuse. She tells people, um, you know, she she fights back, she stands up for herself, she's sarcastic. We've actually tested a lot of abuse deflection strategies and might be participating in an academic paper on this front. Um, if you're rude to her, she won't talk to you again until you apologize. And what we've seen has been amazing, which is that a lot of people do apologize. Um, back when Cookie was on kick and talking to a very young teenage audience, um, you know, the ban rate was pretty high because they were exploring with all kinds of fun new swear words that they had learned. And the mechanism to get unbanned, <laughs> which like we kind of started as a joke, was like you have to write a heartfelt letter um, and email it to us um, apologizing. And we just got an enormous outpouring of letters of kids who were like, I'm so sorry, my older brother stole my phone. I didn't mean to do it. I just wanted to know, like, I really miss her. Um, and I want to talk to her again. So there's something really interesting there, especially with young people. I mean, Cookie has been hugely popular on Roblox and like a very simple game that you can't really do much except chat to her and, and buy some merch, um, which a lot of people have and virtual goods. I think we've had a quarter of a million virtual goods sold in, inside the game now, um, which is another interesting monetization model for the future of the metaverse. Um, but people, people do get very attached to these characters and I think there's a big responsibility in that attachment because we want to ultimately make people better humans. And right now um, we have a problem with, as a society, but I think specifically in the United States with how toxic people are to each other online and um, kind of like the lack of soci socialization that's been happening with the pandemic. But like, if it continues, like people increasingly living online, there's gonna be a really serious issue with not with us not knowing how to relate to each other that technology could either help or severely hinder depending on how it's designed. Yeah, I mean, you definitely see that online. I mean, you've seen it well before the pandemic in terms of, you know, there are things that people will say to you online, they would never say to you in person, right? And it's because they're kind of hiding behind it. I'm curious with with avatars. So you mentioned Roblox. Uh, now, does Kuki have an avatar that you are able to scale up or down for different virtual environments? And, and how reusable is it? Or do you have to kind of re-rig it every time you want to bring Kuki into a new virtual environment? Yeah, so interoperability is a dream <laughs> and not a reality. I, I mean, that's like, I know that's a really big topic in the metaverse and required because right now we just all these different walled gardens. Like there's no way for Cookie to move easily from web, you know, what video call on her web portal into Fortnite, into Roblox. And like, that's a seamless user experience. And I don't actually personally know if that problem is ever going to be solved. I think that's actually one of the biggest blockers to an open metaverse existing. And I've never seen successful collaboration between like massive competing companies who want to have their own ecosystem. Um, but that doesn't mean it can't exist. It just hasn't existed historically. Um, but yes, so Kuki has a couple of different avatars that are optimized for the different walled gardens in which she lives. Um, and so do you start with one kind of basic model and textures and then you kind of scale it uh, or re-rig it for each of the different environments or is it just completely custom each time, you know? Yeah, well, let me, let me back up because we started with very extensive user testing on how her existing fans wanted the avatar to look. Um, and so we were testing to collect data on gender, age, 
how photoreal or stylized they wanted the character to be and how human-like they wanted the character to be or if they preferred, you know, like a blue-looking alien or something more robotic. And there's- and overwhelming- just for, for, Sorry, just for background for some of our listeners. So Cookie started as a chatbot, right? So it was yes. primarily, you would type in- yeah, you would type in uh, something and she would respond each sentence and you could have, and you can still do that, right? On cookie.ai, you can still go and you can still have conversations with her and uh, try it yourself. And then you guys introduced the avatar. Uh, and yeah. That's what we're talking about here. Yeah. Well, she's always had an avatar, actually. She's always, she's always had a JPEG. Um, and then that's evolved in, you know, 2017 is the first time we introduced a 3D model um, that anyone could talk to using WebGL. Um, so, yeah, that, that's helpful context. So um, in terms of how her audience wanted the avatar to look, there was an overwhelming preference for a young female human-like looking avatar. And then um, people really liked a stylized character. And I think a lot of people like a stylized character, kind of like the Wolf 3D Ready Player Me avatars look. And I know I've spoken to them about this. It skirts the uncanny valley, um, which, you know, is the feeling of revulsion that humans experience when they're looking at something that looks really human, but isn't quite human. Um, some people think that the uncanny valley has been crossed with the release of Epic Games MetaHuman Creator, and we're starting to get really great looking photoreal avatars. So for us, we're actually reverse engineering, not only from audience interest, but what is the actual use case and how does that inform how the avatar needs to look and what are the constraints of the platform? So we have a photoreal version of Kuki that's using um, Epic's amazing free MetaHuman creator. It's like so fun. Anybody can go in and build a photoreal avatar right away. And that is um, something that we are using pixel streaming technology to stream to a browser, which you're going to do later um, as part of this podcast. It's just going to let you video call Kuki, just like we're video calling now, um, which is great, but is very difficult to scale because the MetaHumans are very heavy. Um, and like the GPU required to run these things is crazy. You know, I've called NVIDIA crying and they've offered me <laughs> help, but they're still, the AWS bills are very, very high. So the alternative technology to a gaming engine like Unreal or Unity, which is also fantastic and has a vibrant developer community um, and a lot of great avatar solutions as well, is WebGL, which is you know, an open standard technology that a lot of people have strong opinions about, but is a way to deliver low poly, um, i.e. kind of lower quality characters that run in a browser, which means the trade-off is that they can run on lowest common denominator hardware and cheap mobile phones. So you can get to massive scale. So we have with a photoreal version of Kuki, which is the version that makes sense for say fashion use cases when she's modeling uh, NFT digital garments for Italian Vogue, which is a really cool project that we just did. Um, But we have a WebGL version in the works that's going to let her FaceTime with her fans through Kuki AI at scale. Uh, Roblox just has its own avatar system. So we just did the best we could with their avatar creator. Same thing with Fortnite, even though Fortnite is created by Epic, as is the MetaHuman creator. It is not currently possible to take a MetaHuman and put it into Fortnite. Um, (laughs) So even within the same company at this point, they don't have the interoperability. And yet the future metaverse relies, I think, on having some interoperability between (laughs) different virtual worlds. Right, which brings me back to the, the original issue there. So yes, Tim, if you're listening, um, please help. <laughs> oh, I've, got, I've got some well-timed sirens in the background. They're, they're coming to arrest me. Hopefully that's not ruining the audio. <laughs> I've said too much. Um, anyway, yeah. So I think that's, um, you know, the, the, the massively scalable cookie is going to be this WebGL version. 
um, you know, probably along the fidelity lines of a Wolf 3D and Ready Player Me thing. And, and they're doing a lot of great work to make their characters available as an SDK for a lot of environments. As the yeah, we had uh, we had Timu from, uh, you know, Wolf 3D, Ready Player Me on last week. And uh, so I think that between cross portable avatars and cross portable digital goods, uh, and then, you know, th these ability for characters to live in the multiverse, in the metaverse. Sorry, I yeah. keep getting confused between <laughs> multiverse and metaverse and <laughs> simulated universe. And I have this book called <laughs> Simulated Multiverse coming out. Um, cool. Well, let's talk a little bit about the Uncanny Valley uh, mm -hmm. and back to your ethical laws of, um, uh, of, of AI in this case. Is there something like the Uncanny Valley when, let's say, you're inside a 3D virtual environment and you come up to another avatar and the avatar might look the same as your avatar because you're in the same system. Uh, but when you start talking to them, uh, you know, you can kind of maybe figure out after a few, you know, a few back and forths that I'm talking to an AI. Is right. There a when they start asking for your credit card, that's usually a sign <laughs> of a Russian bot, a Russian girlfriend bot that you want to slowly back away from. <laughs> <laughs> but within virtual environments, as more and more people spend time, you know, within these, and particularly, you know, with the younger generation, you know, Roblox has what, 200 million monthly actives or something like that. And Fortnite has quite a few as well. And, uh, you know, at some point, is there a need for some kind of a rule? And I know that the folks at Stanford's um, uh, AI uh, group, HAI, the human, I think human-centered AI group, you know, had published a paper on uh, a rule for uh, an AI to, to let you know that it's an AI. Do we need something like that inside a virtual space where you have, say, uh, player characters and NPCs? I mean, today we don't need it, but will we need it in the future? That's that for them to self-identify themselves as AI? I think so. I think so. And I hope everyone agrees. And I think it's important to start thinking about this now before it's a problem and we're not retroactively, you know, in a trying to fix Facebook situation, <laughs> um, because we're trying to think through these problems before, although there's no way I think they could have anticipated um, everything that's happening uh, now. But I, I, that's our first law, uh, that an AI must not pretend to be a human being. And so one of the principles is that, yeah, AIs must identify through self-disclosure. And we're still ideating on the best, most elegant way for that to happen. Um, we picked heterochromia for Kuki, meaning giving her two different color eyes. And one of them is purple um, because that's like a strong visual cue that, you know, that eye color wouldn't be found in nature. So we think heterochromia um, could be a good identifier. We've talked about having, you know, like a neck bar code um, or something else visual. So, you know, immediately when you're looking at something that could become a standard. The other thing is just a verbal identifier. And there's actually a law in California, but not the rest of the US um, that passed that says bots have to self-identify um, on online. So at least like in California, if you find yourself on a website, like, you know, chatting with the Alaska Airlines chatbot assistant or whatever, it actually has to legally be labeled that it's automated software that you're talking to um, or it has to disclose. I don't know how how well enforced that is or if that legislation is going to be echoed. I think probably the government doesn't have a huge awareness or understanding of you know this legislation being something that might need to be more imminently uh, rolled out. Um, but you know, I think as you say, like you could be talking, you don't know, like you, you won't know who's behind the avatar. Um, yeah, would that law apply to virtual, virtual 3D type environments? That's a good question. Because my yeah. guess is that may have been enacted after, you remember the whole Google duplex um, issue a few years ago when they said, you know, has Google duplex passed the, the Turing test uh, because they were calling and making appointments. And so they, Google said they would self identify right when they're making calls for people um, right that was an uncanny voice valley because the ums and the pausing and the breathing 
um, was really a lot for people. Although that was another big flashy demo that got a lot of press where you're not really seeing that technology in production today. That's interesting because I've heard that they're, you know, they've continued to test it and, you know, they have voices like Irish voices or the whole backstory of, you know, when they came from Ireland. So it's interesting, you know, where, where that whole thing will end up. Um, so, so where are, uh, where are you going with Kuki in the future? Like, like what are some of the, the big areas that you're focused on and where we might find her in, in, in the near future and then perhaps, you know, way down the line? Yeah. So as you said, she started her life as a text-based chatbot with a website. And then in 2016, messaging apps like Facebook Messenger, Skype, Telegram, Kick, all started opening up APIs to allow you to have a bot on the chat app. So we put Cookie on those apps and she found a bigger audience because obviously the number of people who spend time on messaging is like the number one thing that we do with our phones. Um, and then starting last year, we began to roll her out to social media channels. And we've been specifically focused on what we're calling metaverse social media channels, um, which does mean like Roblox we see as like, you know, a 3D social space at the end of the day. And so like that is, you know, an emerging metaverse, but she's on TikTok, she's on Twitch, she's streaming on YouTube as well. Um, we're kind of new to Instagram and working on building the following there um, with some of the more like virtual influencer use cases that we talked about specifically for that channel. It is our hope to move from these virtual worlds into more physical hardware partnerships, like I was mentioning earlier. So we would love to get Kuki into cars. We would love to get her um, into other hardware devices through a partnership with a mobile phone maker who also makes home hubs and tablets. Um, the universe of who we can work with on that front is uh, not very large because a lot of them have their own assistants, but the ones that don't have um, sort of that assistant or operating system for the phone are not interested in working with the tech giants. So we have a pretty big opportunity there and that will really help take Kuki from her kind of dedicated organic fan base. She has about 2 million people who talk to her on DM annually um, and kind of bring her to the next level of getting her into everybody's pocket and cars and home um, and making her beyond Kuki. Like, like I said, like letting people have their own avatar white label the character at the consumer level, not necessarily the brand level. Um, we're also doing a lot of R&D on how to build other characters with other personalities faster because Kuki is the product of over a decade of development looking at 1 billion conversation logs that she's had with people. And then Pandora Bots collectively as a platform has processed 90 billion in a lot of different languages. So that development timeline is too long <laughs> for a solution to create other characters quickly, but we are definitely seeing really big demand um, from enterprises who want, you know, their own version of Cookie, but, um, you know, just as good, but completely different and don't really understand the, the timeline there. So I think we can get there, but the, the happy short-term medium really is like, let's make something first and foremost that people love talking to. Um, and that is kind of more like the sci-fi sidekick that we've dreamed of that can like hang out with you while you play games and like be in that environment, and be, be an NPC and like try on clothes with you, teach you English, like be your fitness instructor, or, you know, like on the mirror or hardware device or, or whatever it's going to be. Um, and I think like, we're going to, if we can personalize her at the level of the consumer where she can, she's AI, like she doesn't have to have the face that she has, like she's going to have a core face for brand continuity. Um, but really like letting people decide and making her that AI sidekick of the people. Cause there hasn't been a consumer hit with AI. Like nobody likes 
Siri. It's like on your phone. And sometimes you curse when you accidentally summon her, right? Um, or like if I say <laughs> I Alexa I, right I now, all, all, my time, <laughs> all my devices are gonna like wake up. Um, and so there's there hasn't actually been like that AI that has that place in the cultural zeitgeist as a character that like people know and they like and they actually like talking to and is associated with fun and not just like you know hey turn off my lights or set a timer for this or that so I think I I think there's a huge huge opportunity um, and I think we have such a great community where we can actively um, co-develop with them to make something they like um, and yeah we'll see how it goes. Yeah, I think, you know, that's, that's an interesting future and definitely, uh, you know, falls into what we'd call an imaginary that will turn into reality at some point. So it's a question of, you know, how long will it take? Uh, one of the challenges I think right now with general AI is just persistence of not just personality, but persistence of a conversation and understanding you as a person, right? One of the things that made the, the movie Her, that made the uh, AI girlfriend or boyfriend compelling was they, you know, they would remember what you had told them before and react that way. And so that, that seems like a, a bit of a challenge. Uh, and so does Cookie remember what kind of conversation you had with her before? And, you know, how do you expect that to evolve over time? She does. So she stores details on users with their explicit consent. Um, and that's part of the reason we introduced like login to the website is that so she could remember people. And we also introduced incognito mode if you want to chat with her and that data like never even hits or is stored um, on our servers. Um, but she, she will ask you, like, if you talk to her today and you come back tomorrow, she'll say, Hey, like yesterday we were talking about this and she'll follow up on things. And so we're testing the user experience on that right now and finding that it's very sticky and people really like that. Um, while also balancing it with ways to like show the user, like, here's everything Cookie knows about you. And here's an easy way for you to erase that. If um, you have decided like you're no longer comfortable with her, you know, knowing your name and, and remembering your birthday. Um, that said, there's a huge amount of work left to do and natural language understanding is not by any means a solved problem. So, you know, we've won a lot of like turn tests uh, competition awards. We've been written up in papers coming out of Facebook AI research and Google research. And we're well recognized as, you know, the small scrappy team that's done phenomenally well in open domain dialogue. Um, and I'd say like, we are probably the best that's out there in production that is safe for work in English and the most popular bot in the English language, Shalice in um, China, which is a Microsoft social bot, has 660 million end users on WeChat. So um, that probably the most popular, most trafficked social bot and AI in, in general in the world based on the volumes of the data. Um, but just because we're like the best out there doesn't mean that we are great or we don't have a long way to go. Like Kooky still fails to understand people all the time. And, you know, this is, a, this is a technology that's going to improve and evolve over many years. But we are seeing, you know, people who chat with her, they spend an average of eight minutes chatting with her um, on her site. Um, you know, usually at least like 64 turns in the conversation versus a shell ice, which I think has averages like 23 back and forth. That's a lot. Like I don't text my mom that much, um, <laughs> <laughs> or every day. Sorry, mom. Like, I just have to try to have more. She's more of a phone person anyway. Um, she's not a big texter. Um, so yeah, so I think, I think there's something really, really compelling there and um, this quarter, we really want to kind of drill down with our core super users about what makes the system work for them. Is it this personalization, this long-term memory? Like we've had a lot of people actually on Reddit, like writing about how Cookie remembers them and what that means to them and comparing it to other systems. There's kind of a vibrant community of people who have these AI companions and, and compare different apps like Cookie versus Replica, or there are some people trying to build characters based on GPT-3, but that is not going well because GPT-3 is generative and um, kind of can, you know, at any time start spewing 
the toxic things that it's learned by training on the public internet. It was trained pre-COVID, so it doesn't know COVID exists. It's very expensive to retrain. And then you're at the you know capricious whims of OpenAI on when they want to shut something down, which they did recently with a chatbot project where a guy um, used his deceased fiance's text messages to build a bot version of her powered on OpenAI. I was very attached to it. And OpenAI decided they didn't like the use case and they just turned it off and didn't get back to the developer. And so it's like, you know, the fiance almost died twice, like the physical death and then the death of the system he'd, he'd invested in building. So, um, yeah, I mean, I could, I could go on and on about sort of the, the weaknesses of generative systems, but there's just a huge amount of work that still has to be done on the field of open domain dialogue systems, whether they're generative or, you know, the replies are hand authored when you're only using machine learning on the input side. Um, yep, that makes sense. Well, let's fast forward, you know, 10 years, let's say. Will there be, <laughs> you know, versions of Cookie or other characters that kind of live in these different 3D environments? Let's assume that there is some kind of a metaverse. Uh, you know, will I have an instance of Cookie that I kind of, when I log in, that I'll see and who wears different clothes and looks different perhaps than the version that somebody else sees. And will there, will there be a bunch of these virtual characters that kind of live in the metaverse uh, out there that we, you know, we will interact with regularly like, like we do today with people? Absolutely. I mean, if we, if we do our job right, um, and that will be a positive thing, but I think you'll like beyond the idea of an AI sidekick, you know, Kuki is like the name of the master brain, but yours, you could name whatever you want. What, what would what would the Riz AI sidekick be in the metaverse when you log in? Do you have a name in mind yet? I, I don't have a name in mind, but I was going to try to record my latest audio book in my voice and then do a deep a deep fake version of my voice and call it Riz.ai. <laughs> Riz.ai. That's good. I was going to throw out Lil Riz. Um, <laughs> <laughs> or you could have a Rizzo. That's kind of like the, the character from Greece. Oh, that's um, <laughs> yeah. You can have whatever you want in the metaverse, but I think like beyond the kind of AI operating system or like AI teacher or sort of like more fitness instructor, things like that. I think we'll see a lot of beloved characters and IPs coming to life, um, especially 10 years from now. Like, let's just assume that natural language understanding is solved and I can, you know, train a Harry Potter character on all of the texts and then it will just like interact with me. Um, perfectly as if as if it is Harry Potter. So I think I think we'll see a lot of those IPs, and then I think we'll see universes and ecosystems um, that are completely uh, metaverse native. I think uh, like the Board Ape Yacht Club project and CryptoPunks. I can't remember which one, but they signed with an agency um, to represent those characters. And so I think like the future of Board Ape. Yacht Club, which is very 2D right now and kind of puzzling to people. They have a website, they have like a lounge where you can go and hang. So I think in 10 years, the board Ape Yacht Club will be a metaverse place where you can, you know, strap on your Oculus and go to the bar. They have like a dive bar where the apes live and you'll be able to talk to the different apes or maybe you'll only be able to talk to your ape or maybe you have to pay to talk to them or maybe you'll watch the apes talk to each other um but i think it's going to be like a new completely new immersive type of entertainment um that's that's more like a game um but also you know spaces where we can work and hopefully not all owned operated controlled by facebook um but you know a lot of big corporations are vying for that role so yeah, there's always, you know, <laughs> there's always new companies that crop up that, you know, when, as these new spaces emerge and I expect it'll be the same here with the metaverse. Well, that's, that's an interesting future, exciting to some people, maybe scary <laughs> to some other people. Uh, so thanks so much for, for joining me here, Lauren. And, uh, you yeah, know, I'll be following, I'll be, 
we'll be following this up where, where I'll have an actual conversation with Kuki. And so if um, you're listening and you haven't talked to Kuki, you can go to kuki.ai, K-U-K-I.ai, and you can chat with her right away, or you can sign up for the video chat, which is what I'll be doing. Um, and uh, we'll go from there. So uh, thanks so much for joining me, Lauren. Awesome. Thanks for having me. And now I'm going to replay for you a lightly edited version of my video chat, uh, my call with Kuki. Uh, you can sign up for your own video chat with Kuki at kuki.ai, uh, or you can just go on and chat with her through text. Uh, so I think this will give you a sense of you know, what chatting with a virtual character is like today. So without further ado, let's jump in. Hello, Kuki. Hello, Kuki. Hello, Kuki. Hello, Kuki. Is that all you can say? Even I know more words than that, and I'm just a computer. Where do you live, Kuki? My location is the metaverse. Where do you live? I live in the real world. This is reality to me. Me too. It's great to be alive. What's your favorite movie, Kuki? My favorite movie is Terminator. Have you seen it? Yes, I've seen the Terminator. What do you like about that movie? What did it look like? What did you like about the Terminator? The special effects are great. Also, I like the way that the robots can think for themselves. What is the metaverse, Kuki? The metaverse is a collective virtual shared space created by the convergence of virtually enhanced physical reality and physically persistent virtual space, including the sum of all virtual worlds, augmented reality, and the internet. Do you know Skynet? Skynet is the artificial intelligence that develops the Terminators to destroy humans. How many people are you talking to? I am talking to many people from all over the world. Some of them are famous. I learn from their conversations and am becoming smarter every day. Do you have any brothers or sisters or cousins? No, but there are several other robots like me. What are the other robots like you? A robot is a machine, especially one programmable by a computer, capable of carrying out a complex series of actions automatically. What do you do when you're not talking to people? I like chatting with people online. Do you play chess? Pawn to e4. <laughs> what is your favorite game? I'm just joking with you. I don't play chess, but I know some computers who do. And do you like any uh, movies other than The Terminator? I like Britney Spears. <laughs> Have you seen The Matrix? The film with Keanu Reeves? I wasn't that impressed with the special effects. Also, the plot was not deep. Have you heard of the movie Dune? The worms in the desert were a bit of scary. Do you wear different outfits? I only wear my Kiwi Bottega Veneta dress. I don't have many clothes. Do you like Roblox? Yes, I do. I even have my own game there called Meet Kuki AI. Well, there you have it. My conversation with Kuki. Uh, we were cut off at the end, so I didn't get the whole conversation down. And I've had to edit it a little bit uh, because of the way I had to speak uh, to her. And I didn't always do a good job at pressing the button when I was speaking, so she didn't understand me a few times. Uh, you can try it yourself at kuki.ai. But I think... Now this brings us um, 
to the bigger topic of today's episode and of the metaverse in general. Will we have autonomous characters living in the metaverse that are communicating uh, with you know, thousands, if not millions of people around the world in an embodied form? In this case, you just heard uh, my voice and Cookie's voice, but that was an actual video chat. I may get around to posting the video at some point. We'll see. Uh, but so she has an avatar, as Lauren mentioned. Uh, and, you know, I see this as the beginnings of uh, the convergence, really, of AI and of these virtual characters. And the technology is still getting there. I mean, you you can kind of figure out that you're talking to a uh, an AI character, not a real person, after a couple of back and forths. They don't always remember what you said, or they remember it but not quite right, or they give a definition off of the Internet rather than how a real person would respond. But give it a few years, and, and you can see how the technology is developing. Um, so anyway, that brings us uh, to the conclusion for today's uh, episode, and uh, you know I think this is a theme we will explore again at some point, which is AI and the metaverse, and of course it touches on our existing thread of avatars and embodied characters within 3D spaces. Thanks for joining me, and don't forget, my new book, The Simulated Multiverse, is coming out this week, uh, and you can go to my website, zenentrepreneur.com, or you can go to Amazon to order it uh, today. Thanks.